Do you have questions about the Catholic faith? Are you just listening because you randomly found this podcast? Whatever the reason, we're glad you're listening. From prayer to the Eucharist to exploring the treasures of the Catholic Church, we will talk about the faith in day-to-day life. This is Seeking Sanctus. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Seeking Sanctus. Uh, I'm William Mayberry. I apologize there hasn't been a a big episode out in a little while. It's been a really busy time for me, but it's kind of tapering off, so I'm jumping right back in. Uh, Today, I have a guest that we've had on before. You may remember him, Andy Vlila. How are you doing, Andy? Doing great. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah, it was a real pleasure. And I'm real thankful you agreed to come on because I was having trouble finding somebody. Anytime, anytime. Okay. Uh, Well, this is a podcast for the listeners. Uh, This is a podcast on Holy Week. Since that's the time we're in, we're going to be discussing the period of Holy Week in this episode. Uh, Full credit for anything that might sound familiar goes to Brant Petrie. I used his lectures to do my research for this. So... Anyone out there who might have listened to it, that's why some of this might sound familiar. Uh, not, not plagiarizing him or anything by any means. I'm just using him as my reference. You couldn't have picked a better reference. He is definitely knowledgeable about that. He is. And the uh, focus for this episode uh, is going to be what Jesus was doing the last seven days of his life and why he was doing it. So I'm going to open up my note sheet here. And while you're opening your notes, I, you know, this is just such a great time, isn't it? I mean, Holy Week, probably the most important week in the church year. I think you could argue Christmas is too, but this one is like, this is where everything's fulfilled. This is great, isn't it? This is really what it's all about. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's a great time to learn about how everything relates together as well because so much of this just goes with it with itself and other parts of it i'm telling you you couldn't have nailed you nailed that right on the head there that i mean that's it it's all this is it this is the biggest biggest part of the year and it's not a mistake that it's here exactly well uh before we actually uh jump in uh we i'd like to open it in our father Absolutely. Sounds great. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, again, this is focused on what and why Jesus was doing the last seven days of his life, the what the deeds he did and the reasons behind them. So we're just going to, uh, I guess, start with Palm Sunday because it's the first day of Holy Week. Uh, I'm going to read, read. Uh, 
for the listeners, uh, the translation I'm using may sound a bit different. I use the ESV Catholic edition from Augustine Institute. Uh, I'll put a little link to that in the show notes after this episode, if you want, in case anyone would want it. But this is Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Matthew 21, 1 through 9. So uh, first question I have for you in regards to that, Andy, is uh, one of the things that stands out probably to anyone who's read this is for some apparently unknown reason, Jesus decides to enter the city on a donkey. <laughs> Which, my, my, it's, if you think about it, it might sound kind of weird, like you might expect a horse or something like that, but he chooses a donkey and it's colt. So why might that be? Yeah, you know, that, that, that's a great question. And uh, as you were reading that, I started thinking about that passage in general. And I think we could probably talk for two hours just on this passage alone, there's so much there. Yeah. Um, I mean, this passage is so rich. Um, but, you know, the donkey specifically, um, it, 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 it alludes to two things, to tell you the truth. It actually um, alludes back to uh, uh, David. Uh, and that should ring true for a lot of people because, you know, Jesus was the son of David. Uh, so that verse refers to... Uh, King David and one Kings verses 33. And uh, when you read that, it says, take with you the servants of your Lord and have found my son ride on my own mule. So this is in reference to uh, David when he was turning over uh, the kingship to uh, Solomon. So he rode on the donkey there. There's another reference that references to uh Zechariah, uh, and it does in chapter nine, excuse me, Zechariah chapter nine and uh, verse nine. And when you read in there, it says, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, word for word, right there. So what Christ is actually doing in this uh, entry is he's fulfilling both of those, um, He's fulfilling the, uh, the prophecy of Zechariah, but he's also uh, fulfilling the type that Solomon and David had set forth way back in Kings. So, uh, you know, 900 plus years before Christ. So that's where both of those kind of come from. Uh, 
and what they symbolize is is there. I mean, so Jesus by coming in on his donkey is fulfilling Zechariah, and he's uh, announcing that he's the Davidic king. Exactly, and he's also uh, showing the Jews in that time expected uh, when they thought the Messiah, they thought a military leader who would come and overthrow the Roman empire. But another thing going on here is Jesus is showing that he's not a military Messiah. He's a humble Messiah. He's a humble King. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, as, as I said, right in the beginning, we could, we could talk about this for two hours. There's so much yeah. in there. <laughs> There's so much in there. And, uh, but yeah, all these things, um, I think I remember on our last podcast when we were talking about, uh, Jesus, there's something like 360 plus prophecies in there, and uh, the odds of him fulfilling all of them, and, and we talked all about that. So, I mean, this one, this this passage is no different. There's so much in there. Um, there really is. And I think the humbleness, I think the humbleness you brought out is, is super important too. That's 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 amazing. Yeah, and it, it contradicted everything the Jews would have thought because they they were just expecting like like I said, someone to overthrow the Roman empire and free Israel, but he came to serve. Yeah. And you know, since you brought that up, you're driving me down another path that, that I don't think a lot of us think about on Holy week is that, you know, don't you think Jesus really fulfilled that as well in his yeah. humble way? I mean, in his humble, soft way, he overthrew the entire world and the, uh, and the, and the Roman empire. And, uh, the, the, the Jewish people that were expecting this got exactly what they wanted, just not in the way they expected it. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it is. Uh, one other quick thing I wanted to point out about that is the people would have gotten the donkey. Uh, they would have gotten the reference because at the time that people were coming in on pilgrimages for uh, Holy Week, well, for uh, Passover for them, uh, mm -hmm all of the pilgrims would have been on foot. So they would have realized the donkey is kind of the uh, new Solomon. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's more that he didn't really record in this passage, but I mean, um, when he's coming from the Mount of Olives, that's the actual path that David took back into Jerusalem um, after his son, you know, chased him out. Uh, and you've got the Solomon reference that, you know, uh, Jewish people familiar with scriptures, which they all were, would have known exactly what Jesus was implying by the way he he, he entered in. I mean, there, there, there would have been no doubt. You nailed it on the head. They would have known exactly that he was representing um, the Davidic king in multiple ways. Yeah. There's uh, one more thing I wanted to cover about this uh, real quick in this particular section. Uh, the people are actually fulfilling a prophecy of the old testament themselves the palm branches and the hosanna to the son of david uh they're welcoming him as the king right because the palm branch is the sign of royalty mm -hmm. they're actually fulfilling psalm 118 which is one of the most famous psalms about the coming of the messiah it is so i just it is and i thought that was cool it's super cool, and I'm glad you brought it up. But man, again, we could probably talk for ten hours on this one. I mean, there's so much in this psalm. There um, really is. You know, the, the 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 you think the words that they said were, uh, you know, so important as well. You know, the hosanna, you know, means save us. Um, 
And then, like you mentioned, you know, them throwing the palms on the ground uh, is definitely what you would do for, for the king. So there's that king imagery again uh, that you were talking about. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but when I think about um, them fulfilling or, or, uh, or bringing anything in, in a psalm, you have to really think of the whole thing. And uh, verse 22 talks about the stone that the builders rejected, which we heard earlier in the gospel that Jesus filled that. So it, yeah, it, this is just crazy. It's crazy. All the fulfillments of, a, of just coming in on a donkey with palms. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Amazing. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it really is amazing. And that's, that's one thing I love, and I'm going to enjoy doing this particular podcast because all of it just relates to itself, the other days, the Old Testament. It's just so cool to explore how it all comes together. Yeah, and you know, I think we Catholics don't, don't focus on the Old Testament enough. Um, I'm trying to remember Augustine's quote. What, what was it? The, uh, the, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. He, he was really big on the Old Testament himself. Um, and he's, he's attributed as saying the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. I mean, uh, so, you know, when, when we're getting into this old Testament, um, I, I love it when I teach RCIA and I tell people, you know, the old Testament's about Jesus, just as much as the gospels are, uh, which is just blows people's minds until you start making all these connections, like, like the ones you were talking about. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. It's, it's great. Uh, oh, uh, I almost, I almost forgot. Uh, when they were saying Hosanna, I should have pointed this out. So I'm going to go, not only are they fulfilling it, they were quoting it. So they knew that that's what is called a Royal Psalm. Yeah, um, exactly. And again, I think, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, hopefully your listeners will get a little excited about this, you know, all these old Testament fulfillments. And they'll, they'll, you know, we can encourage them to read the Old Testament more to make these connections. And it just makes the whole experience richer, you know, um, instead of seeing it as two books or we've got 73 books, but uh, instead of seeing it as, you know, two distinct different stories, uh, we can see it as one continuous uh, story, you know, and, 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 you know, what we're doing today, hopefully is connecting a plot line for them so that they can, you uh, you know, chase it all the way through both both testaments of the Bible, uh, because you know Jesus is in both. Yeah, and I, I really hope we do because th- that's one of the goals of this is to make things like this clearer for people who listen. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm really excited. I uh, to be on a quick break. I checked the uh, statistics of this the other day, and. Mm-hmm. The, the high numbers aren't always accurate, but the lowest one would be the minimum. So at the very minimum, we actually have 25 people that listen to this. All right, that's fantastic. It is, I mean, and I'm so fantastic. excited. The work, the work you're doing here is so important, and it's so uh, it's so important. I mean, it really is. Uh, and and hopefully they'll tell 25 people who tell 25 people who tell 25 people. And uh, so. and and oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I hope that there are youth who listen to this because like, like I said in the introduction, when father introduced me, one of my goals for this was to try to get more youth interested in doing things like this, doing things in their parishes or trying to help the church in some way. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, and, um, you know, uh, you brought up Brent Petrie and uh, his little uh, talk about this. I mean, he's written some really good books uh, that, that pertain to all the Catholics that kind of trace these roots. Um, uh, I, I encourage any of your listeners to get on Google and, and Google Brant Petrie, The Jewish Roots, and, and six books are going to come up uh, that are just fantastic, that, that'll just draw you in. They're just, they're, they're fantastic books. They're, they're not written for, um, you know, at a crazy scholarly level where people are going to go blind trying to figure out what's going on. He, he breaks it down Barney style, I like to say, and uh, makes it digestible for everybody. And he just really makes a lot of these connections that, um, you know, I think we've missed out for years on seeing. And it just, it, it brings the Bible to life. It brings it to life and you see it as a whole thing. And, uh, you know, it'll, it, it, he helps people so much to see these little interconnections throughout the entire Bible, which is, which is great. It really is. And it's so cool to learn stuff like that. Cause like, I'm one of those people who like, I can read the Bible, but it, it's one of those books I have trouble sitting and reading for long periods of time. Uh, but when you're learning new things about it, like you would from Brant Petrie, it's so much easier because it's fascinating to see it all connect. It is, you know, you nailed that right on the head, you know, and there's a good one that nobody ever, <clears throat> if, we can, if I can sidetrack you for a second here, um, there, there's one that nobody ever even thinks about. Uh, it took me years to figure it out and think about it. But, uh, you know, um, if you remember at the beginning of the Gospel of, of Matthew, it said uh, the genealogy of Jesus, son of Abraham, son of, son of David. Well, we, we just talked about the son of David. You know, his son of David came in on the mule. Boom, we're good. Uh, but what we often forget is that son of Abraham. And why would Matthew bring that up? I mean, why? Why would he, why would he call him son of Adam or or son of God, and he does call him son of God at the end, but, you know, there's a great connection between Abraham and, uh, and, or at least Abraham and Isaac and Jesus' passion, which is what we're talking about this week, um, in what the Jewish people call the Akedah, which is, uh, uh, in Genesis 22, and, uh, for anybody that doesn't remember that, it's, that's where Abraham sacrifices Isaac, I mean, one of the most shocking stories in the Bible, you know, Abraham's going to kill his son for God. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Um, is, is, does God really want to do this? Well, you know, I argue that that's, uh, uh, and, and I've got some good company with the church fathers, that, uh, that that's just nothing but a type for Jesus' sacrifice. There's, I wrote a paper on it, and I think there's, uh, I think I counted up 67 distinct connections between that and Jesus from the language and, and, and uh, all the way through. Um, if you, I can give you a couple uh, just to, to whet your appetite. And I encourage you guys to go read the um, sacrifice of Isaac and think about Jesus and, and see what you can find. You'll be amazed. Um, but uh, both Abraham and God sacrificed their own son. So, so there's one. Uh, both Jesus and Isaac were willing victims. And that's kind of pointing to it. Um, Not what you might what expect. most striking. No, exactly. I mean, uh, if you look at it, Isaac's got to be a teenager, probably about your age. And he laid down on a, on a thing of wood and, and let his dad tie him up, knowing what was going to happen. Uh, you know, um, Isaac carried the wood up the mountain. 
like Jesus carried the cross. I mean, wood and wood. Um, the, one of the most striking ones that, that stunned me, and uh, I talked to your mom about this one, was that the place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac is Golgotha. There's, an, there's actually an altar there that uh, some travelers I've looked at that's attributed to Abraham, um, early Christianity that, that was attributed to Abraham in that altar. And, 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 and you know, you can keep diving in. I won't, I won't bore you with all the details, but I encourage your listeners to look it up and, and, and see there. Some of the Greek language uh, in there shows that some of the exact phrases used by Jesus are the exact same phrases that Abraham used from sit there in the donkey. Jesus told his disciples to sit there while he was praying. Exact same Greek phrase. The word for knife and the sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. Same word. So there's a lot in there. You know, I encourage your readers to read it. It's, you know, just another connection to uh, the Old Testament. You know, I won't, I won't spoil it. No spoiler alert. I won't tell you anymore. But uh, I encourage your listeners to read it. It's amazing when you think about it that way. And you can find Jesus in there. It, it really is. And I also encourage anyone listening to this to go check that out and see what you can find. Uh, yeah, that, that's amazing. I didn't know some of those. I, I knew the one about the location, but only because my mother actually told me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, <clears throat> believe it or not. I mean, I don't want to bore your listeners. I won't post my paper on your, on your site, but I mean, I wrote 20 <laughs> pages of connections, 20 pages of connections Gee. in there. Um, just there's, there's, Stunning connections. And I would argue that I probably didn't even scratch the surface. I mean, you can flip the page of your Old Testament to any page, and I guarantee you Christ is there. Yeah, guaranteed. Well, uh, I thought that was good. It, it was. I, I thank you for bringing that up. That was a really good point. Um, All right. I'm going to actually jump back over here now before we uh, sit here too long in awkward silence. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, I actually have Psalm 118 open now because there is something I wanted to uh, talk about about this. So I already mentioned that this is a royal psalm. It's about the, uh, it's about the king entering the city and going to the altar in the temple, which... Uh, was a, a bronze altar. It had four horns on the corner. We'll get into more of that later, but that's just to give you an image. Uh, and it was expected to be sung when the Messiah came into the city. So that, that's a really cool thing that we just talked about. They're already singing that. So that's fulfilled in a sense. Uh, Absolutely. But where Jesus might have shocked them was where he went it was expected that the messiah would go up to the horns of the altar is i believe how it's phrased and offer sacrifice mm -hmm. jesus doesn't go to the horns of the altar his uh his altar is going to be the cross eventually yes 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 but uh you know what's neat about this and you brought it up if you look at i think you're referring to the first uh, 27 where it says bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar um again there's been uh, a lot of typology with that uh, and the actual arms of the cross have been referred to as the horns of the altar because it was altar his sacrifice so you, you're right there 
But if we think back to, uh, I hate to bring Abraham back up again, but um, he bound Isaac to the horns of the altar that he did. Um, yeah. So connection to Psalm, to Jesus, I mean, the, the, you can just, you can follow the straight line path in there. Um, but yeah, he did. And uh, they sang these Psalms. I, we'll probably get to it on Thursday. Uh, but I mean, he was known to sing the Psalm it's one of the whole else that they sang during the Passover as well. So there's, there's tons of this. Uh, the, the other thing I think is really neat is in verse 26, where they say, we bless you from the house of the Lord. As they're singing it in there, you know, uh, Jesus has been referred to as the, uh, as the new temple. So as they're singing this off, you know, there's, there's a temple imagery of the full temple. And there's also this imagery that he is the temple because he's the stone that, that has been rejected. So, uh, uh, I like to think that they're singing it to him uh, as he's coming in. Uh, and they probably were. They just didn't know it. Yeah. And he he does also, speaking of uh, horns of the altar that you were talking about, he does fulfill that in a numerical sense because on the corners of the altar, there were four bronze horns. And the way he kind of fulfills that in the numerical sense is on the cross where his altar is, mm -hmm. the four nails. He has two in his hands, one in his feet, and one for the title above his head. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you could even say, you can even, uh, there's been speculation that, you know, you can take the four horns as being the uh, the actual four points of the cross as well. I mean, there's so many, you could think, uh, you know, you got the cross beam, the top beam, and then the beam that goes into the ground. I mean, that's four corners. And Jesus was attached to all four. Mm -hmm. as you as you as you brought up i mean uh so rich so rich it, it really is that's why i love delving into it oh absolutely and you know uh, i also encourage your listeners as they're reading that that psalm 118 think of temple building while they're doing this um as well and 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 do that in a dual nature think of the uh you know th this was written in a literal sense, because we need to we need to think about that as well, how the human author intended it, and not just the divine, uh, both together working together to, to make this beautiful psalm. But they're talking about they're talking about building the second temple here, and we're talking about as Christians about building the third temple, which is which is the church with Jesus uh, being the head, and, uh, and and if you keep that in mind as you're reading this as well. You're just going to have this huge, uh, you're going to read the psalm in a completely different way. And, you know, when you think about it that way, because we're, we're, we're doing all at the same time, which is really just beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you and I could talk about this for the next 10 days. I'm telling you, I love it. We, we could, we really could. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, that's really all I want to talk about for Palm Sunday. And, Absolutely. We're going to go. We long, we're, on. Yeah, we're going to go long on this. I already know that. So we don't have to try to rush through it or everything. It'll just be kind of a, a special episode because we're definitely going long. It's already been 30 minutes and we just finished Palm Sunday. So <laughs> <laughs> we just finished Palm Sunday. I apologize uh, to all the listeners for getting just uh, sidetracked with it. It's hard when you're doing this not to think about all these other things. Yeah. And I mean, you have to because they're all related to each other. So, absolutely okay here we go uh the next thing i wanted to uh talk about was uh holy monday going in order here uh 
this is the day that you have the cleansing of the temple and also Jesus cursing the fig tree. So uh, I wanted to start with the fig tree. So I'm going to read the verse from Matthew. Uh, this is right. This is Matthew 21, 18 through 22. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Matthew 21, 18 through 22. So uh, he curses the fig tree, right? It's Holy Monday. He's hungry. No fruit. I guess even Jesus can be grumpy on a Monday. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, something that the first thing I wanted to talk, mention here before we actually jump in is Matthew actually leaves out something. This was uh, not during the season for figs. No, it's not just this tree being a slacker. There are no figs on any fig tree anywhere at this time. So why would, yeah, he, be cursing, why would he be cursing the fig tree if there's nothing there and there's not supposed to be? Um, I don't want to ruin Brant Petrie's answer because I want some of your readers to do it. But there's, there's, there's lots of reasons on there. Um, I think one of the big ones is, you know, Jesus always refers to, uh, you know, uh, people bearing fruit, people bearing fruit. You get this, you get this gift from Jesus and all that and bearing fruit. And, you know, we're, we're, we're all expected to, to bear fruit. And I think that this big tree, um, I, I don't think we should just think about the tree, because like you said, I, the point he's making is there's, there's no figs anywhere so this tree isn't like a special tree it's just like any other tree and i think we need to think of ourselves as that fig tree and uh not that jesus would curse us but the fig tree and uh you know how do we curse ourselves we don't bear fruit we don't bear fruit if we just sit there amongst the other trees and don't and don't do anything um you're you're tied into there uh i think that matthew's talking about historic israel you know, about, uh, I mean, we, we can read the Old Testament, look and see how many times Israel stumbled and fell, you know, and just kept going. Um, but what, what happens? God gives you a second chance. He keeps giving you a second chance if you're trying to, to, to grow fruit. Um, so I think the light bulbs that would have gone off in these guys' heads and the disciples' heads is that, you know, Jesus is talking about Israel as a whole, and thus, you know, humanity as a whole, um, and cursing this fig tree saying, you know, if you, if you don't do anything to bear fruit, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to happen to you. Um, but, you know, if you take this in the context with, uh, I don't know, you think Joel 2.22 or Amos, or Amos, excuse me, 9.14, Micah 4.4, Zechariah again, and Ezekiel, which are really big prophets for Jesus, they talk about you know, God plan, excuse me, God promising to replant and get healthy figs out. So uh, I think Jesus is tying all that into that one thing about that fig tree. And what can we as Catholics do during this season to think about this? 
well, you know, we need to think about our own figs. Are they rotten or are they good? And uh, uh, we don't want to be the cursed tree. Um, I think we talked about it last time. You know, there's nobody in hell that doesn't want to be there. Uh, so, you know, we don't want to be the, 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 the cursed fig tree. Uh, so I think that's what Jesus is, is talking about in that, um, with the figs. Yeah. 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 I completely agree with you. I did not actually relate any of that. I was, uh, I was thinking of, well, Brant Petrie's answer, but that's a really good point. I did not think of him as talking about Israel. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Brant's, Brant's answer, he's much more man than I am. Um, but he'll be the first to tell you that there's so much there. Again, I, I bet you, you and I could talk about this fig tree for an hour. Yeah. Easy in a podcast session. We really could. Uh, before we continue, though, I do want to bring up uh, something uh, Dr. Petrie mentioned while talking about the fig tree, because I think it's a really good point uh, as well to go with this. It kind of fits in with this as well. Uh, he's playing the role of the new Adam, right? Because if you, uh, I don't, what's the name of that uh, Jewish book you were mentioned earlier, the Aketa or something? The Akita, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's the one he was talking about. He was saying that based on things you can look at in the Old Testament and some Jewish tradition from that, there is reason to believe that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was possibly a fig tree. And one, like one of those Absolutely. points was right after they eat the uh, fruit and realize they're naked, they take leaves. Well, they probably would have been just taking the leaves from the tree that they ate from and they used fig leaves, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, so Jesus is actually in the role of the new Adam. He came to undo the fall of the first Adam. He did, so in a sense, uh, he doesn't want anyone else to eat from the tree. So that's why he, that's, that's another a, reason he curses. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. That I translated. And, uh, you know, you, you bring that up. And I think it's amazing because, you know, something else that one of Brant's, uh, Dr. Petrie's best friends, Dr. Michael Barber, um, used to say is that all these types are, are tied together. If you, uh, if, if, if you and your listeners are aware of those, you know, those Russian dolls, the big wooden dolls, and there's another one inside of the, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of put together. And there's a little one in the beginning and you put one on the outside and keep their parts. And Dr. Barber's point was, is that all these types are tied together until they reach the perfection, which is Jesus. So, you know, Adam is a type for Jesus, but so is uh, Abraham. So Abraham's around that. So there, it's just a line of types and you can chase this up the whole line um, mm -hmm. of the undoing of, of the bad stuff that, that, uh, that Adam did. And, um, another thing that Brant said, or Dr. Petrie said in that episode was that, you know, he didn't even scratch the surface in these episodes. There's so much there. There's yeah. so much there. So I'm really glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it is a, it was a fig tree. Um, and I think, you know, Jesus is, is, is trying to do all of these things at the same time. Yeah. And I, I just thought it made a really nice compliment to what you were saying, because that uh, him talking about Israel, it also kind of encompasses that as well, like you were talking about. So I figured it'd be a nice compliment. Absolutely. 
Well, did you notice too that uh, with what you said? I mean, as soon as you said that, my eyes immediately hit the page, and the first words I looked at was, "How did the fig tree wither at once?" And I'm thinking, "Oh, you know, Adam and Eve withered at once. It was immediate. They mm-hmm. ate the tree, and bam, they withered." So, you know, as soon as you said that, that's, that's immediately what my eyes were drawn to, um, which again just points exactly what you said. Everything that you you and I are both saying complement each other. They go together. It's just so rich. So yeah, rich. it really is. And uh, it adds a, uh, there's another layer of richness that might be added when uh, you realize that this is also a symbol of what he's going to accomplish on the cross him cursing the fig trees, undoing the fall. So not only is Israel encompassing the Adam, that, uh, him playing the role of the new Adam is also encompassing him being the savior of the world. So I agree with you. It's kind of like those pop outs where you just have the small to the larger. Yeah. And you know, the, uh, one of the, one of the big things, and I, I'm not sure which church father said it, it was probably Augustine because the man is a genius, uh, but we can throw <laughs> it to all of them. You know, the, the cross has been uh, attributed as the new tree of life. Mm-hmm. which goes back to the Garden of Eden as well, which ties all that imagery in and connects, you know, this big tree and Jesus back to the Garden of Eden again. Uh, so uh, again, we're just, we're going down a rabbit hole here. There's so much in there that, that complements that imagery that you brought up a, a couple minutes ago of, of Jesus undoing, you know, don't, don't you find it ironic that he undoes the sin of Adam on the tree of life, the new tree of yeah. life. I mean, how, how fitting is that? Yeah, it's it's very fitting. It's almost kind of like in, uh, how can I describe this? It's like when something is repeating, it's an endless loop, right? It's a circle, no corners or anything. Well, the image that comes in, it's like a circle made of thread, but there's two of them. So they're intertwining in kind of a loop, just going around. Yeah. It all connects and it just all goes through time, which I find fascinating. It's kind of like God has a plan, isn't it? Yeah, almost like it's divinely inspired. God, yeah, it's kind of like he's got a plan, and then amazing. Yeah, who would have thought? I also, I also think it's it's beautiful that this is happening on the week that we we deem as the, you know, the holiest week of the year. You know, you think of the worst thing that humanity did in the Garden of Eden, and the greatest thing that humanity did in in its in is at the end here. I mean, they're they're and they're both connected. Uh, beautiful. Yeah, it really is. It's amazing how God can bring good out of evil, right? He brought good out of the worst evil humanity ever did, the creation killing the creator. And he saved the world through it. Yeah. And you could, you know, you you made me think of something else. It's just beautiful. You know, so Adam, Adam tried to undo the creation as a man. And, you know, God could have done anything. I mean, he could have snapped his fingers and it would have been fine again, but he didn't. He chose to recreate through a man who was also divine, but uh, to, to redo that creation in that circle and put it back together. Like you said, you know, those, those threads are so intertwined. I think that's an awesome example. I'm stealing it and I'm using it uh, at RCIA because <laughs> that's just, that's a great one. Well, I'll give you full credit that's a, though. That's, that's a good point. Uh I actually went backwards here by accident. I did the fig tree first, but the cleansing of the temple came before that. Uh, So I'm going to uh, just read Matthew 21, 12 through 13. 
And it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Matthew 21, 12, and 13. So uh, why, why is Jesus so mad about this? I mean, there's the reason that you might get from his uh, exclamation, you make it a den of robbers, but obviously there's going to be more to it than that. So why, why would he be so mad about this? You know, I'm, I'm actually glad that we kind of did that out of order because the fig tree is, it's a good story. It's a great story that it happened when it happened. But, uh, you know, as Jesus went in, you know, when you were talking about the, the uh, Psalm 118, about how the Messiah would go to the temple, he did. He went straight to the temple, as you can see here, because he went here and cleansed it. But, um, you know, I think, I think Jesus was angry for several reasons. Um, the one I like to think the most is he showed us, uh, if you remember, you know, anger is listed as one of the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. And, but Jesus is sinless. So, you know, the question I, I pondered for years is, is, well, if he's sinless and anger is a, is a deadly sin, how do the, how do I reconcile these two things? You know, because Jesus is sinless. So there must, it must be okay to be angry in this way. So, okay. So how is it all right to be angry? Well, I think Jesus is a beautiful example of righteous anger and how it's okay for us to be angry at injustice. It's, un, mm-hmm. it's, it's all right for us to be angry at, taking advantage of, of, of people weaker than us. Uh, it's, it's okay to be angry um, about any of these things, about the, you know, the work that the devil's doing in the world. Uh, and Jesus is a beautiful example for that. So I think it's one of the things he's showing us. Um, the other thing is he's referring to uh, a prophecy from Isaiah, uh, which uh, Dr. Dr. Petrie likes to call the fifth gospel. Um, Isaiah is that important. Uh, but it's in uh, Isaiah 56, uh, verse 7, and Isaiah actually says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So this is kind of tying into Jesus' anger in the fact that, you know, they've, they've, they've set up this money-changing system and turned it kind of into a, a bank. And, and we've got to be honest, these, these money changers don't have the best re- reputation. They're known to have taken advantage of the pilgrims. Uh, and the people coming in to do this, uh, and that's where Jesus is calling them robbers. You know, these devoted people are coming in to um, to worship, and these money changers are robbing them blind. So it, it bothers them in two ways on that, you know, the robbery from the, the poor people, and they're talking about pigeons. If you're talking about pigeons, you have to go way back uh, to Leviticus and the Exodus, and and you'll see that the pigeons are the are the sacrifice for the poor people. So Jesus is really making an exclamation about, you know, taking advantage of the poor here. Um, yeah. Who, some of these people are giving up all their money to buy one pigeon. One pigeon, and, and these yeah. guys are robbing them. So uh, I, I, I think that's part of it. Uh, yeah. And I think the last aspect of it is, like you, like you mentioned in, when you read it, was is, you know, um, if you think to that Isaiah verse, it says all peoples. It didn't say all Israelites. He said all peoples. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, um, as I was reading this and I listened to the Dr. Petrie thing, he brought up the, the, the two uh, courts 
and the two courts in the temple, there's a, a, a court of the Gentiles and a court for the Israelites. So there's actually a section of the temple that only Israelite men are allowed to go into to worship. And the, the Gentiles are excluded from that, which if you read that in the context of Isaiah, you know, the, the Israelites are excluding people from God. And I think that's an important lesson we can learn from those two courts is, um, and apply it to our churches because Catholic means universal. Nobody should be excluded. Exactly. So uh, I, I think I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at here when when he's getting angry at these merchants. Yeah. And as something I learned is you were pointing out the two courts just a second ago. I think another part of that is they set up the marketplace in the Gentile court. So all of the pilgrims coming in to worship and everything, it, it would be, to quote Dr. Petrie, like trying to pray at Walmart. The Gentile court was just essentially a giant marketplace now. You know, man, I am so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up because you hit the nail on the head. That's indirect. I mean, the, Isaiah says this is a place for all peoples to worship, um, albeit segregated. And uh, here they are trying to worship at Walmart or, you know, or, or you know, any of them, any of those big, busy stores. Uh, so you're double excluding the Gentiles if you think about it. Yeah. They can't even worship in the Gentile court. It's horrible. So, I mean, I think Jesus is commenting on all those and probably 50 other things as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was. Uh, I, I just thought. I just wanted to bring that up. I thought that would be again a nice. No, I'm glad you did. But uh, yeah, to I'm going to use a phrase from you real quick. You've, I just want to say you've hit the nail on the head on everything we talked about. This has been amazing so far. No, I think this is a well. Like, don't 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 sell yourself short there. This is a conversation, and you keep bringing up really amazing points uh, that that just tie it all together. So uh, this is a good teamwork here. Yeah, it is. I'm glad. Oh, me uh, too. I'm having a great time. I hope you're having a great time. Oh, I am. This is fun. <laughs> um, so I wanted to jump ahead to uh, uh, Holy Wednesday. So we're in the middle of the week now. Uh, Holy Wednesday or uh, Spy Wednesday, uh, depending mm -hmm. on which you like to call it. Um, here we go. Uh, this is Matthew... 26 14 through 16 then one of the 12 whose name was judas iscariot went to the chief priest and said what will you give me if i deliver him over to you and they paid him 30 pieces of silver and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him so uh that that's actually why this is called spy wednesday it's the day judas uh, agreed to uh, spy out jesus's location so that's, I thought that was a little twist that I should bring up. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. What did you find interesting about what Dr. Barber or Dr. Petrie said about that? Um, probably the reference again to the Old Testament. I mean, it's like if mm -hmm. Jesus does something weird, it always points back to the Old Testament. But this is Judas. But it still points back to the Old Testament because... Uh, Judas sells Jesus's uh, location for 30 shekels of silver, right? 
Well, if you look mm-hmm. back at the Old Testament, uh, and, and the reason, there's no logical reason before I go any farther that Judas would have betrayed Jesus, except out of greed. That's the only clue that the Gospels give. He did it for money. He was a money lover. And John mm-hmm. actually saw Judas steal from the, the poor box in one of his Gospels, right? The box set up to mm-hmm. give money to the poor. He saw, John saw Judas steal from that. So he was, he was just out for money. That's the only thing that they say. But still, him doing this points back to the Old Testament. Uh, Joseph, uh, son of Jacob, in the Old Testament, he's betrayed mm-hmm. by Judah for 20 shekels of silver, which would be the price of a slave. So Judas is a kind of a, a new Judah, I guess, which is, I found funny because Judas is actually uh, named after Judah. So he's fulfilling mm, his, his yeah. name role. <laughs> he is. That's, you know, that's a good one. He, he, I'm glad you brought those up. There's a, there's a couple other throwbacks to the Old Testament too. Um, if you look in, uh, 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 Jeremiah talks about it a lot um and i I believe it's jeremiah 32 uh i'm looking turn it to the page right there right now 32 verses 6 through 9 talks about buying a field uh and when you add all the money together it adds up to 30 30 shekels but the, the the biggest one that points right to it is in zechariah again you know our favorite zechariah um in chapter 11, verse 13. And when you read that, it says, the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took 30 pieces of silver. So he was priced for 30 pieces of silver. And that's actually referenced to that the whole chapter 11 is called the flock doomed to slaughter. Uh, and verse seven says, so I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered. So the shepherd's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, so, you know, Jesus is fulfilling it again. Um, I, you know, Jeremiah and, and Zach, uh, Zechariah are just, Jesus all over the place in those two, all over the place, all over the yeah. place. Um, and, you, and you brought up Joseph uh, and his selling, well, also in Leviticus and uh, Numbers, uh, they talk about slaves. You know, if you're redeeming a slave, 30 30 pieces of silver um so i mean i think there's a ton there and 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 the most shocking thing is it's a pittance it's a it's a tiny sum of money for a greedy man judas sold him for nothing i mean for a pittance and that that word slave um as you brought up you know jesus came to be a, a a slave as well the word in greek actually means either slave or servant so you can read it either way and uh and, you know, I kind of prefer servant just because Jesus has always called himself a servant. Uh, but it, all these numbers add up that it's, you know, Jesus is pointing to this. And when you, when you label Jesus as a servant, you can't help but think of Isaiah in the, uh, chapter 52 and 53, where they talk about the suffering servant, which is what Jesus is, is referred to as all the time. Um, but yeah, the ties in there all over the place. I mean, there's, it's just screaming back to the Old Testament. Yeah. It really is. 
And uh, there's an interesting thing I noticed. I actually marked that in my notes. I, on the side margins, uh, uh, Joseph was sold as a slave and he eventually was exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. Uh, Jesus was sold for the price of a servant or slave. He was exalted to the right hand of God. Joseph of the Old Testament saved by wheat, and Jesus will save by bread in the Eucharist. Isn't it amazing how it all goes together? I'm telling yeah. you, we keep we keep digging all these types. So now, in just our conversation, we've gone from Adam to Abraham to Joseph, all the way, and now we've got Jesus. And, and I guarantee you, there's more in that chain that just keeps going on. The the other thing, you know, we can we can put all together here is, you know, since Jesus is encompassing all these people, he's he's filling all these things. All these things are being fulfilled in this one person. I mean, it, it, Jesus is a great big doll. And when we get down to the end of it, it's encompassing all these people in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And uh, you know what? There's one other thing you can bring about Judas uh, that you brought up that they were looking for a um, military leader. And, you know, that, that there's speculation that that's part of, you know, Judas's problem. It wasn't just greed that was driving him. It was pride, pride as well, because Jesus wasn't this military militant leader that he was looking for. Uh, so I, I don't think we should ever forget that pride is always tied in there. Yeah. It's a good thing to remember. Well, I have one more little thing that I wrote down about this. And that's really all I had for Holy Wednesday. Uh, Spy Wednesday is actually the reason that since the beginning of the church, we fast on Wednesday and Friday both, because Wednesday is when Jesus was betrayed and Friday was the day he died. Absolutely. What a great thing to remember too. And I encourage uh, everybody to do that. I, I, I do that. I, I fast on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays for that very reason. Yep. And it can be a little fast. I mean, for all your young listeners, give up Cokes on Wednesdays and Fridays. It's a great way to start. Yeah, just something small. Something small. I mean, baby steps. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and record part two of this, which will be out immediately after part one. So we'll see you in the next one.